Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. This is another strange week, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm so glad we made that bonus episode that went out on Wednesday. If you've not yet checked it out, it's with Anna and Tiff from Is This Working podcast, uh, which is a podcast that I've been going back through and listening to old episodes because I find it really useful. Yeah. Um, but chatting to them about everything COVID was was real therapy for me and I just left it feeling really positive and, and excited. I, I really enjoyed that episode. And we've had some amazing feedback on it as well. Yeah, the feedback's been amazing actually. Like, yes, I think a lot of people are in a stage where they don't really know what's going on right now and they, they just need to hear that someone else is going through it too because everyone's so isolated. Everyone's kind of on their own at the moment. And when you have your Zoom chats with your mates in the evening, generally that's seen as like a really positive thing. No one really talks about what's actually getting them down in the day. So I feel like it was really nice to sit down with some people who are like going through the same thing that we are and just having a really honest, open conversation about it and basically trying to look at, well, what are you doing to get through this and being able to like help each other out? And also just having that conversation just that was just so nice to just be sat there with those guys having a really interesting chat one thing this time is bringing out is that kind of communication between people and i think it's so important to keep that going yeah definitely i mean i'm having a great time i'm painting more than i ever have time to normally paint and i'm making podcasts so i'm doing my favorite things so i'm i'm super happy like it's a really great time to like reinvent yourself and learn new things because you have to you have to evolve really quickly so this podcast for example like we've recorded a few episodes this week remotely and that's the first time we've ever done that like normally we'd only ever do things in person but the whole situation at the moment has forced us to kind of experiment with doing them remotely and they're going really well so far and it's i feel like that'll only get better and that new skill that we've developed there it's probably just going to benefit us going forward because it now allows us to get guests that we couldn't previously get because they may be abroad. Like we'd planned to go on a podcast tour to LA in May and that's not going to happen anymore. So it's nice to be able to still connect with those people and have those conversations that we might not have been able to have before. So do you think then once this is all over, we would start doing Skype conversations with people that are not in the country? I think, yeah, well, I think this is a perfect time to experiment with it. And if there are... Because my goal was always like, I've got really big goals for the podcast and in terms of like the people that I want to interview. But my thought was always, it has to be in person because I want to be sat across from Tom Billy or I want to be sat across from Gary V or or Gabby Reese, who's actually coming on the podcast next week. But like, I, I want to to actually meet those people. So kind of my rule was... Because we've been approached by people in the past who were like, oh, my client who's in LA wants to do a, a Zoom. And it, for us, it was always like, no, we only do it in person. The podcast we just recorded with a remote guest before this, like, I feel like that person we now have a connection with, it wasn't as unconnected as I thought it would be beforehand. I feel like we've started a relationship there and it means in the future we can always do a second interview or a third interview. Like it, We've started the relationship, so I think it's easier to go into it when we're actually in that city with those people to be like, 
oh, we did this before. How about doing a second one now? Because you've already done it and hopefully they liked you from the first one. Yeah. It allows us to go and do a second one or a third one or a fourth one. And like, it's just starting that relationship. So I suppose the lesson is to embrace new methods that previously you dismissed. And like now, because it's our only chance, we're actually because we have to do it remotely, we're now viewing it in a different way than we did before because before we were like, no, it has to be in person and it's it's allowed us to reassess that. So going forward, it will be an option. From what we've done so far, it seems to be going in a really good direction. So yeah, I feel like it can only continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, currently in this climate, the it, it's our only option is to connect digitally. So I suppose it's like we're, we're so fortunate that the technology is there. I mean, had this happened five years ago, we would nowhere near be as connected as we are now because yeah. of internet speeds and, and like Zoom and all of the, the new technologies that are out there. So nothing is ever going to stand in the way of real human contact. I think that's like abundantly clear and and especially at this time. But we can get pretty damn close and that's a definitely a positive thing. Yeah, definitely. I feel like even with the fact that like the audio, like we're not in the same room now and the audio is so clear and what does benefit about being external is you can listen more intently and the fact that I've got like a notepad in front of me here that as soon as the guest will say something and I want to respond to that, I can write it down. Whereas if you're in person and I suddenly stop looking at a conversation, go and write something down, then that conversation they're like what are you doing it's kind of like they can tell you're distracted whereas over just audio or video too you can kind of get away with writing things down it allows you to kind of come back to things and not forget things and yeah i feel like everything has its benefits everything has its pros and cons and nothing should ever be dismissed until you've tried it i don't think definitely so this week's episode was obviously recorded in person recorded before all of the madness but what a lovely episode this was. Melissa Hemsley is just a wonderful person. Um, I met her about a year ago, I think, and was just kind of like overwhelmed with how kind she is and just just what a lovely person. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. We've interviewed so many people and they are all lovely. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's no like prize or, or like scale. But I mean, she's pretty close to the top of the lovely people that, that we've met. Um, just a very warm and infectious personality and uh it was lovely to have this like just such an honest chat we we got deep right from the beginning yeah yeah this interview went a really different way to what i expected it going i thought like melissa hems is kind of a kind of a expert in the food world and it didn't really go that way it wasn't it was a lot more about kind of mindset kind of how she's feeling at the moment uh, oh so- my boy some of that was down to me because uh, I knew I knew where I wanted to take this interview and I knew I'd, I'd listened, I'd done a lot of research as I do for every guest and I knew that I didn't want it to be like too food heavy. Obviously, yeah. that's a, a big part of her story. Um, but I, I kind of sensed that there was other directions that we could go with this. Yeah, so I feel like people, whether into food or not, will definitely really, really enjoy this episode. Melissa Hemsley is a self-taught chef and a best-selling cookbook author who champions real food and sustainability. In this episode, we went way off menu, as I just mentioned, and chatted on a bunch of different topics from coping with grief to the imposter syndrome around being seen as an expert. You join us here during a conversation about how we deal with death, grief and anxiety.
Oh, should we do a proper podcast now? Uh, <laughs> Melissa Hemsley, welcome to Creative Rebels. Thank you very much, guys. How welcome. are you? We're fine. How are you really? Are you fine? <laughs> I've actually got a really bad cough and feeling a bit ill, but oh, I'm fine. Yeah. Can you have an early night tonight? Yes, definitely. So, is it true that you were going to be a doctor? Yes. Gosh, you really have done a bit of uh, internet searching. I Well, when I said I wanted to be a doctor, I did all my A-levels to, to lead me to that point, all my science A-levels. I really wanted to be a doctor. And then I started to do... I actually think I had a confidence crisis when I was 17. So between my AS level year and my A-level year, I had a confidence crisis. There was other stuff going on at home. And I also realised, I think I... Looking back now, I could have, I could have, I knew I would grow. But at the time I thought, I don't think age 17, I can deal with the responsibility of actually the other person's side. So the idea of dealing with death and comfort grieving people, which is so interesting based on what we just talked about yeah. and grief. And I knew at the time, I thought to myself, I'm too sensitive, not to say that doctors aren't sensitive. But I was like, I just, I started to do a bit of work experience um, like as in, you know, work shadowing and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I thought, whoa there, not only do you have to be super smart, have incredible stamina, um, be completely dedicated, but then you also have to switch from totally doing your skill and then the the other skill of being really kind and comfort, comfort people and then get on and do it again yeah. and again. I suppose I over time you get more used to it and you're and you are able to assimilate it more into your life. But I mean... It was the same for me. I was getting into primary school teaching and I worked at a school and you take you take the work home with you. Yeah, I bet. And there's certain little ones that you're you're worrying about mm. because you know what they're going home to and you know what their situation is. And that was so draining for me. And I'd imagine it was exactly the same for you in your work experience as a doctor. You're seeing pain and suffering firsthand and then you, you can't help but think about that when you're not at work. Yeah. Even even just listening to you speak, I could just start feeling. I could start feeling what that could have maybe felt like. Mm. But I mean, I literally did two weeks of work experience, and I'm glad work experience works. I yeah. realised yeah. that actually, I who knows, but at the point, it was a very important decision I made. Once I made the decision, I so I was having a confidence crisis anyway. When I made the decision to not be a doctor, something that age I was seventeen, I had decided when I was about eight. It, that was that was a killer. That I was so sad. Did you feel lost? I felt completely lost. I had to tell my mum. She was totally disappointed. You know, and I had to tell myself. I had to keep telling myself this is the right decision. I basically said to myself, you're not cut out for it. And actually, I think I probably could have been. Mm, yeah. But I made that decision. And actually, I was incredibly envious after that. Even now, if I'm at a party or a dinner and I meet someone, the doctor, I'll be like, I wanted to be a doctor. You know, you can imagine they're like, oh God, whatever. You know, I wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. But I like to think in some small way I'm helping people, you know, via cooking oh, and getting yeah. them in the kitchen and helping them feel kitchen confident and empowering them through food. But um, yeah, I can imagine you when you were... That's, what a responsibility. Your... It's teaching, looking after the caring profession, especially working with kids. That's, yeah. that's full on. That must have been really hard to have like this kind of in your mind you had this plan of where you were going to go yeah and then the confidence to pull away from that because a lot of people would just be like well there's nothing else for me to do so I'm just going to keep going and just keep going down this hole of something they know is not right for them but so many people do that yeah because it was your path from at age eight yeah but in many ways maybe my anxiety and my 
my lack of self-belief took, you know, maybe that would have been the right thing for me to do. And actually my, I let my anxiety and self-belief, take, lack of self-belief take over and ma- made me pull out. I often wrestle with it. Actually, in my early 20s, in a way, not doing that really pushed me and gave me tons of drive. I mean, I've always been like a bit of a, you know, I was a head girl and always going for it. But because I didn't, because I felt like I'd let myself down and my mum down, I worked so hard. You know, the day after I finished my A-levels, I went and I started working um, in shoes for an ethical shoe brand. And then I you, worked. You didn't worked, go worked, to worked, uni? Worked. Didn't go to uni. Well, because one, I wasn't, it, was, it happened between my AS and A-level. So I didn't go to uni. I was like, I'll apply later. And then actually, even in my 21, like 2021, I thought I could still apply. Yeah. And then I just didn't. So I, I think I've always felt like I'm making, for, well, for a long time, I was like, I'll work really hard and make up for the fact that my plan completely went awry that all, you know, all my studying led me up to that point. Anyway, um, if I had to do it all again, I would have probably told myself to speak to someone because I'm sure that lots of people went, oh, I'm a bit scared now. I haven't made the right... So- it's, it's, it's so tough, isn't it? Telling... You tell you tell 14-year-olds to pick their GCSEs for the whole entire life. Yeah, yeah. It's ludicrous. The whole, when- th- the whole thing's broken. Because especially like when you're that age, you don't even know what most jobs are. 14? Yeah, you don't know what jobs are. You don't know what jobs are. I hadn't heard of marketing when I was 14. Yeah. I was like, you only see what you can see in your kind of surrounding area. And if you don't know anyone who works in like, because I'm not from London. So like, there's so many jobs here that I didn't know existed at all. I mean, even now you go somewhere and you'll meet people like, oh, is that a job? Yeah. But a bit like. People say that to us all the time. (laughs) You're in a graffiti company. Painting on walls is a job. Podcasting is a job. Like these are ridiculous things. But then when, you know, if we all have kids or any kids that are now primary school kids what jobs are they all going to be going for their jobs don't YouTuber. exist yet that's it that's the only job they know well, about the machi- is youtuber what, the, the machine the machine what is it how to talk to machines yeah you know are they going to be going to jobs machine, how to yeah. speak to machines are they going to be going for those jobs are they going to be machine speakers is that going well, to be a job kids are learning coding in schools now kids, kids are learning coding how many i mean is that is that still i think that's optional like, or no, is that a i imagine that's like what how we did it at school yeah it would be now their IT involves coding because yeah. it's like that's oh what the government are putting loads more money into. Information technology. Oh, gosh. I think I did an Excel spreadsheet in that class and that was about it. Uh, and I, I love, still use Excel. It's great. Excel is bloody great. I feel like not <laughs> enough people give it credit for, for what it is. Anyway, boring. Uh, you, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned your mum. How, like, so she was disappointed that you didn't want to be a, be a doctor. Yeah. Um, what? skills and traits have you garnered from your oh my gosh loads oh so many um I think I probably get my sense I I think I definitely get my sensitivity from her because my dad was army born and bred like his whole family and generations back at army so very not emotional and not around that much because he was always doing you know army stuff and so I think I get my sensitivity from my mum, which I, I I believe, and in my course and in my therapy over the years, they've always said, you know, what your extra sensitivity, which you used to apologise for, a bit like I said about my friend, the Moody's, yeah. why are we apologising for our moods? That makes up who we are. Your sensitivity has, has brought good things into your life and it maybe makes you uh, a good friend or, or whatever. Um, so sensitivity from my mum, she's very much... You know, she's Filipino Catholic, very devoted to the community. So the church community, but the wider community, because a lot of the time the church is the sometimes the yeah. centre of the community. 
So I think this idea of looking after people when we were younger, she'd call it service. And I used to find that idea like very religious and it didn't sound very fun service. Yeah. And now I really um, see it as doing something for someone else, which feels really good in turn. Doing yeah. good feels good. It's like a, it's like what's not to be great about it. You, you, you offer something for someone that needs it. You can't help but feel of value. You might not feel great. It could, you might be doing something that makes you feel incredibly sad because you're looking at the situation they're in or they, but overall you feel like, again, going back to purpose, you feel like I did something of value for someone. So I've definitely got that from her. And then on a practical level, I mean, you know, I'm, I've got this this book out at the moment and it's all about being resourceful and thrifty and frugal, but she hates me using the word frugal. <laughs> but it's such a good word. It's like, why waste? You know, look at what's going on in the planet. We can't keep living the way we are. We can't keep wasting. And I've got a section in the book called Mum's Thrifty Tips. And it was about 10 pages long. It had to get edited. She just called it Mum's Frugal Tips just to annoy No, it. <laughs> well, it was. It was. was it? And then I knew it was going to... She's like, change I knew it. that. I, my, mom, my mom can hold a grudge for 10 years. She, she wouldn't have spoken. <laughs> no, no. She, she would have been really annoyed. So I called it Thrifty. Because you know what it's like. Whatever word works. You can mm. s- subtly change a word, but you really... In my head, it's frugal. So I got that from her. And when I was younger... You know, I didn't like having leftovers, but I did because they were always delicious. But I also really wanted fish fingers out the packet and I wanted chips out the packet and I wanted to go for pizzas. And my mum would be like, let's have something at home. Let's eat what's in the fridge. You know, like she she would never waste food. She didn't have any money growing up. Have you seen that Eddie Murphy bit where he talks about his his mum making him burgers no so it's it's from like 1984 or something it's like raw or delirious i can't remember which one but he talks about um i'm not going to do the bit because i'm not that guy who just does comedians bits but basically <laughs> um his mum makes him uh, he's like i want mcdonald's and she's like you're not having mcdonald's because i can make that at home so she puts like a big beef patty in the middle of like white square wonder bread and like and he has to tear the corners off so he can pretend it's like a mcdonald's burger and it's just yeah there, there's that kind of mumness of like, no, we don't need to do that because I can do that at home. And it probably tastes yeah. better. But in terms of status with your friends, it's like the McDonald's burger is yeah. the, yeah. or the fish it's fingers the is like that And it's the stuff. drama yeah. and it's the treat. Yeah, the same. Sunday roast, sometimes we'd have big Sunday soup, everything from the fridge into the pot. And it was always delicious, but you just, you just, a lot of the time you don't appreciate things. You don't appreciate your mum. You don't appreciate the great things in, your parents are instilling in you. So, and, and interestingly, so I just bang on about the course, but it was so interesting. You know, I was saying, I went, <laughs> I went, it, it, I'll tell you why it was interesting. In many ways, I mean, it's so thoughtfully put together. So there's that. But on a just a very basic level, for a week, you cannot speak to anyone. You cannot, you don't read, you can't have a book. You can't have, so you can't speak to anyone. So it's like, a, so in that level, it's like a digital detox. Yeah. So a lot of people listening might have done a week without, but you, you're not even around the people you know. So you don't know anyone there. And you can't read, you can't escape in any way. You have to sit with your shit, to sit with your thoughts. Oh, sorry, yeah. by not speaking to anyone, do you just mean on the outside world or within the Oh, so you can speak to well. people within the group. Okay. But sometimes they're silent bits, which I loved actually. But but you're, they're all strangers, so you don't talk to them really for the first couple, you know, you don't feel open. So you start thinking about literally your life comes whooshing towards you and also they make you confront stuff. But in general, like even now I'm still remembering. So I've did it three months ago. Things are coming to my, I've like opened up something. I've opened up the memory bank and good stuff's coming in and out. Weird stuff that I don't even vaguely remember happening is coming in and out. But it actually just makes you realize it's like, it's like, um, 
all your life lessons are coming towards you that you rejected or embraced and you start to put puzzle pieces together and you're like oh I'm like that because of that yeah. and maybe you don't like that about yourself so you can like oh okay so what can I not do to be like that or I really like that part of me like that came from there I'm going to try and be a bit more I lost that person I don't recognize that person yeah. anymore but uh yeah loads so what I'm realizing now age 34 is how great a mum I was I, I knew she was a great mum I knew she's an amazing person I knew she's a great mum but I did reject a lot of like I started to feel like I didn't want to go to church every Sunday um and I didn't want to be so frugal I wanted to have not I you know I worked from age 18 I worked yeah. before that actually but I worked full-time from 18 I wanted to buy nice things you know thinking of your um oh, the lady how to break up with fast fashion Lauren Bravo yeah you know her book now, you know, I would have rejected that when I was 16. Yeah, yeah. I'm 18. I'm working really hard. I deserve to buy all this. So my and, and most 16 year olds listening to this will probably are still probably rejecting yeah. that. And it's that's just a time thing, I think. Yeah. That, I yeah. think that's with everyone. I mean, my happiest moments now are, you know, I want to I love being on the sofa. I love being I love watching feel good shows. Again, since my course, I've been really gravitating towards old shows I've been watching The Darling Buds of May I've been watching <laughs> oh, okay. Last Tango in Halifax I've been watching Gavin and Stacey I and I used to watch really like gritty stressful things and I like having tea and I like having nice socks and old jumpers I was complimenting your soft trackies wasn't I just a minute <laughs> ago I was saying your tracksuit bottoms look really lovely and soft and I like quiet and I like nature and I'm re and I like folding laundry and listening to classic FM and making soup. I'm turning into my mother. I am my mother. <laughs> and so and you um you pop those all on your your what's it called your good list? My happiness. My feel, what do I call, I call I've got I call it loads of things. Happiness, happiness list. list. Feel good list. Yeah, I have this list because a bit like what you were talking about a minute ago when you said people try and offer suggest you do positive things when you're feeling like absolute crap and you're feeling really outside of yourself. I have I sometimes find looking at my list helpful because it it's like a couple of things I know will feel good. They don't mm. always work. But quite often, um so I keep my freezer stocked up with soup and bolognese and like all the comfort foods I like. Not only on a practical level, like it's busy, it also saves you money. You know, like tonight I'll get home at eleven because I'm going on a book tour event tonight and I've got nice food and I can pop it out the freezer. Or I can call my boyfriend and be like, Eat, he hates it when I do this. ETA 30 minutes. I, I do it in that voice because that's my army upbringing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, ETA 30 minutes, pop something, you know, pop the lid on, heat hours. it up. I'll be like that, yeah. And uh, can you heat it up for me? Because I'm eating dinner sometimes like 11.30. So I, I keep the freezer stocked up for that purpose. But sometimes, even if I don't need to cook food, chopping an onion, melting it in butter or oil, whatever. I like butter. It makes me feel good. And putting some veggies and putting a lid on and letting it slowly simmer away is an absolute meditation for me. And sometimes I don't have the energy or headspace or any sense of wanting to do anything when I'm feeling really crap. But sometimes even literally chopping, sometimes I'll chop the onion and I'll walk out the room. But sometimes doing one thing can be good. So I like take the things I'm good at. That's what I mean by the folding of laundry. If I can't get out of bed and I'm feeling really crap, I'm thinking of all the people I'm letting down in that moment, which makes me feel more crap. I'll go and fold the laundry because 
then I yeah. you can't mess up doing that. I mean, yeah. I don't iron. And it's and it's a <laughs> win. Fold. It's like you've it's a win. you've won something. I've achieved yeah. one thing. I think writing down on the list is so helpful. So I don't I don't have a happiness list, but I do have a what to do when I've got nothing to do list because I find that there's so many things that I could be doing. I could be editing a podcast, I could be writing, I could be like replying to our DMs, whatever it might be, mm. um, designing a new piece of work, painting something. But wh- when it comes to the, oh my God, I've got a spare hour, I'm then like like paralyzed by choice. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I just go to the list and go, okay, I've got a spare hour, I could do this. Yeah. And it's the same with the happiness list. It's like, if you're feeling shit, when you're feeling happy, it's like, fine, you can pull these things all out of the air and yeah. you know what makes you happy. But when you're feeling shit, if you just look at the list, you can be like, I can go and do that now. That will make me feel better. And it's nice to yeah. have that reminder. Yeah. And actually, sometimes mine, mine is, my, my, I've got stuff written down that's like, read a book, which I know sounds so silly, but actually when your mind is, 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 is not, not letting you down, but like when your mind's working against you or it's like everything you come up, you suggest stuff to yourself and it's like, no, no, I can't, no. Literally reading a book or just sitting with a book or being, I mean, for me, my my number one thing that I do straight away is turn my phone off. And I know that's really difficult for, for lots of people and I've got friends with kids that are like, I can't do that. I can't turn my phone off. Yeah. My kids need to be able to get hold of me or I have to be able to be able to communicate. But then I, yeah, I turn my phone off. And a thing that I know will exacerbate the way I'm feeling, which yeah. is, social media a work email and again it's hard like we all work for ourselves yeah. don't we we have this is i think half the half of the problem i i actually in the build up to my course i was getting so stressed out even though i had made allowances i i booked this in at the end of the year i had a whole year to prepare for the moment to come and i had all these people that were going to help me but i didn't i didn't allow myself to trust them which is also a, a bit of a life lesson i wasn't letting people help me Gosh, yeah, really. but now I am. Yeah, real therapy session. <laughs> it's it? a therapy session. When you're in an underground secret restaurant preparing thousands of meals for people for um, Extinction Rebellion, I guess that's just an extension of what you were talking about of of community and helping others and providing. Yeah. Well, my my friend Tristram Stewart, who who runs something called Feedback, this organisation is about ten years old, and they. They, they rescue food, they glean it, which is when the fa- farmers need support in collecting food because they don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. So like, or when, say like, I know it sounds crazy, but you know, when it was really windy last year, maybe pears and apples are falling off things and the farmers literally don't have the resources and the manpower to pick things up. So you go and glean and you redistribute it. Anyway, um, he said to me, what are, you, what are you doing for the marches? What are you doing to help Extinction Rebellion? I was like, well, I'm going to go on the march. And he was like, well, do you want to do something even more helpful? Help me cook. And actually, I didn't... Well, I cooked, but I didn't cook. But what is cooking, really? It's like helping put together a meal. Yeah. One of the days, I swear I just spent two hours, you know, stripping corn. And another day, I just chopped peppers. There were these absolutely gigantic pots. I'll show you on my phone. Um, probably wider than this table and deep. And you could get 2,000 portions of food in them wow. and they were just going there were several of them going at any one point and it was all rescued food and so we were just down yeah in this car park a secret I shouldn't really even say where it, you know, that it was a car park but anyway because the you know certain things were getting taken away from protesters toilet stages food at some points were, was apparently being restricted and I just thought I can help do that 
And actually it was brilliant on my Instagram. I put up, you know, who wants to come and help me? And some people came and helped me and I'd never met them. And we chopped together or we stripped the corn together. And yeah. some people went without me on days I couldn't do. And that was Instagram community all pulling together. And like on Saturday, I was just doing this um, fundraiser for Australia. Someone I knew that I worked with, actually Disney. I, one of the highlights of last year is, you know, the the new Lion King movie. Yeah. They asked me to do a Akuna Matata feel good food menu. Oh. So I had a I had a, like Pumbas falafels and um, it was amazing. Pumbas falafels and like one thing I didn't come up with after I did the menu, my friend said, "Why didn't you do Rafi Satsiki?" And I was like, "No, Rafiki Satsiki." Uh, <laughs> I was like, "I can't believe I missed that." Um, but anyway, this contact this friend who uh, from Disney she's Australian and she felt very helpless so she said should we put on some cookery classes and all the money will go to three particular charities in Australia for the bushfire relief all of that stuff even though I'm so busy with my book tour and blah 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 like I was in four different cities last week having that purpose to look forward to at the end of the week that for me feels like I feel better from doing that than I or just as good as if I'd spent a whole day doing yoga you know yeah. The things that I would choose to do to make me feel good, going to yoga, seeing my friends. Yeah, I would have loved to see my friends on Saturday, but actually I felt like I could have given, I gave X amount and I got Y amount back. It was lovely. Yeah, and I suppose you'll always remember that as well. I'll always remember it. And, and actually it, sometimes when you work for yourself, you don't feel very good at things. So that I was like, oh, I can be good at that because I can cook food with people. We can have a lovely meal. And we can ask them for money and that can go somewhere. So I do, if, if anyone's listening and they're thinking about volunteering, I know sometimes the idea of volunteering in itself can feel like a mountain to get over. Which Where should I volunteer? I don't know when I'm going to be free. What if I don't know what I'm good at? People, there's something to do for everyone. So like the Felix Project, you can help drive the vans, you can help sort the distribution centres. If you don't drive and you want to also have exercise, you can just load up a rucksack. They've got these big rucksacks and you can go and walk food from a distribution centre, get on the tube with it and go and take it to a school or a summer school or a hospital or somewhere. And you've literally could take two, two hours to do it and that would be amazing. So that's good. I suppose purpose is really important to you. And that word keeps coming back. Yeah, it? yeah, it's been reoccurring. And one thing we talk about a lot is if you can't keep a roof over your head, then you're not allowed. You're not able to help anyone. So we sort of always encourage creatives to focus on the business side as well as the helping side. Mm -hmm. um, what are the different kind of avenues of your business? The different avenues of my business. So I've got the. I guess I've got the cookery book side. So I've done four cookbooks over the last 10 years um two with my sister is Hemsley and Hemsley and two just me as Melissa Hemsley all they're, they're all my names <laughs> um and then so there's the cook that's the cookbook side and the great thing about that is is you get to lock yourself away and actually it can actually stir loads of stuff up that you don't want to deal with because you're by yourself a lot but you get to lock yourself away and dedicate yourself to writing what I try to do is write books that people find so incredibly helpful because apparently someone said that uh, on average a household, well, not anymore because cookbooks are so online now and you have to give so many recipes for free on social media, which I don't mind doing because I feel like if you can really get people that way and they can like your recipe and enjoy it, they're happy to buy into your cookbook. And I think it's a better way of doing it rather than keep printing cookbooks. It's a lot of trees that yeah. people aren't going to use. 
I think it's a great way to build trust, isn't it? So it's like, That's if it. you can build the trust and be like, okay, well, these three recipes are good, then what could I get if I buy this book? I'll get a full range of different things. Yeah. How long does it take to put together a cookbook? Oof. I, I, I should be getting better at doing them now. I've done a few. But I think, like, for me, I imagine it must be harder because you've used the recipes. And you're like, yeah. oh, no, no. I need to make new ones. No. Well, no, because do you know what? The Coming up with the recipes, I'll, okay, I'll tell you what which bits I find hard. The coming up with the recipes I find incredibly easy because, especially with my style of cooking, it's like freestyling. Freestyling, being flexible, not wasting food, swapping things in and out, seasonal, what you've got. So I love, my favourite thing to do is make a coffee, sit down and come up with loads of recipes. So I'll come up with a rough idea and then I'll go and test them and test them and test them. So all my recipes are always like what I've had for dinner and then I get them tested and all my friends make them. So I love the coming up with recipe sides. I mean, like right now I have maybe 400, maybe slightly exaggerating, maybe more like 200, 250 ideas written down that at some point I will go, oh, do you know what I'm going to make? my dinner and I'll 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 um, base it off this concept but I'll just freestyle it with whatever I got I love that side the bit I hate is I'm terrible at editing I'm a rambler right I'm a rambler and you have an editor but then you know you still have to edit yourself loads don't you before you can even give it to your editor as I'll go crazy I'll be like I'm not reading all of that 12 million <laughs> yeah. words of you rambling about your freezer and the way you like to save food and you know, like, you know how I said my mum's thrifty tips, it's like 10 pages long. They got it down to one, but that was painful. You know, <laughs> I, I, sometimes I cry with frustration, not in like a temper tantrum way, but I'm like, I can't do it. You know, and they're like, we don't need 20 pages on things you could freeze in an ice cube tray. They're like, how about one page? I'm like, well, I just want to offer more. I'm like an offer. I'm a, I'm a giver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I find the editing painful. Um, and I love the shoot because when you do a shoot, you get to bring in, um, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not particularly fantastic at styling food, and I think it's important that your food looks realistic, and I want the food to look like I could have made it. Mm. Well, I did make it, but I could have styled it. But at the same time, when you do a shoot, because you're paying for the photographer's time, and you're paying for a whole team's time, you've got to get through ten recipes a day. So I have this amazing lady, Kitty, uh, also a friend of Sarah Malcolm's, who we—that's how we all know each other. She'll style for me. And I love that element because I've, in my head, I've got a vision of how I want it to look and how I've cooked it. Mm. She comes and makes it look that much more pretty. Mm -hmm. And that inspires me. It's like her slight interpretation on it. And then the photographer gets involved. And I love that because that's my, I guess my collaborative time. Because a lot of the time I'm just sitting by myself, creating, self-doubting. And they're like, oh, that's really good. I love this recipe. I'm like, is it? Because imagine how many recipes you're making. And I guess it's the same with you. You're like, am I good at this after the 10th time? Yeah. So that's nice. So I love, I love the shooting time. I love the coming up recipes time. Um, not so great at the editing time. And then I love the going on the book tour time. So like tonight, when I leave you, I'll go and do an event. So I'll bake loads of cookies. I'll go to the event. The bookshops welcome me. Sometimes it's restaurants. And the great thing when it's restaurants is I've got like the River Cottage restaurant. I've got the Ethicurian. I've just done Riverford in Devon. We'll use their lovely organic fruit and veg. We'll plan the menu together. The chefs will do, thank God, most of the legwork. I'll get involved at the last minute, probably getting in the way. I'm going to do it at Heckfield Place with Sky Gingle and we'll serve up a lovely feast. So I love all that. And I always get my ideas for my next books and my ne whatever I want to do next, I get from going on these tours. So with, with Eat Green, which is about low-waste, flexitarian, seasonal food, that's what everybody told me the last time I went on tour. They were like, 
more on leftovers, more on being resourceful, more on helping me feel confident being creative. That comes off a lot. I'm not a creative person. I don't know what to do with the food. You know, and I've said all that. I've said those words myself loads growing up. I'm not creative. I'm not good at that. People feel scared. Some people like being told what to do. Some people, you know, want to have options and feel flexible. So that that's my main thing is the cookbooks. And then I do writing. I write for Vogue and The Telegraph. And then, you know, I guess the sustainability sessions was the first thing that I created. So it was a business strand. It was sort of, it was sort of a not-for-profit. I'm not sure what we're going to do moving forward, but we set the tickets at £15. I paid all the speakers. That was really important to me. And then a third of all the tickets went to a different charity per session. So the mental health one went to mental health mates. The travel one went to Surfers Against Surge. So, you know, I hope I could turn that into a one avenue of business. Um, but at the moment, I was just... I'm just exploring. So I guess it's the first thing I've really created. And I was so nervous to do it. And I still am. <laughs> but it's um, been brilliant. But I mean, through through having the courage to start, you've created something now that going forward is going to be a huge part of what you do. Yeah. And, and actually, when I've been on the bookshop tour, they've all said, and I, this was my idea, why are you just doing it in London? What about all of us everywhere else? So I'm hopefully going to team up with the different bookshops and do it. So sustainability sessions in Edinburgh and so on. But with the sustainability sessions, I remember having the conversation about a year and a half ago with my management, who I had just joined at the time. And, you know, they were like, right, so what are all the things you want to do? And I was like, oh, and started reading off all this list. And I was like, I'd love to start going to events and learning more from people that know lots about different parts and how they consider being sustainable in that area. I was like, but I, don't, I haven't heard about any of them. I don't know where they all are. And my manager was like, so start one. I was like, I couldn't do that. No way. Wouldn't know how to put it together. You know, why would anyone want to come and do my events? Who'd want to listen to me about it? I'm not the expert, like we were just talking about before. And I think the being honest of going... I'm not an expert. I've brought in these people. And interestingly, quite a lot of the people that came, my speaker said, I don't feel like an expert. <laughs> yeah. Which was so funny. But, uh, you know, what is an expert these days? And also, what is an activist? You know, people are like, this person's an activist, or I'm not an activist. An activist, I sort of did a bit of thinking about it. And I was like, an activist is someone that just stands up for what they believe in. Yeah. So I think owning these words, like, am I an expert? Like, who's decided you're an expert? Who's decided you're not an expert, rather? Who's decided you're not an activist? So I'm sort of trying, I guess, to really, like I said, last year was about working, really putting mental health and sustainability at the forefront of what I do and also owning words rather than being shying away from them. I'm trying to do it at the moment. I think it's when we stop worrying about what other people are going to think, isn't it? That's it. That would be a massive, you know, if we were to start again as kids. Yeah. I, remember, I remember crying loads when I was younger. My sister saying to me, none of this is going to matter. She's like, like, but everything matters, doesn't it? Then, yes. and even now, it's it easy to like, say, isn't it? Like, but even now, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, do you do you get Sunday scary? Do you get like funny feelings on a Sunday? Sunday scary. Some people talk, call them. Fuck no, no, yeah. you don't. And do you think that's because you love what you do? Yes. But also because you know a lot of people love what they do, but they still get that confidence. I feel like, confidence. Yeah, I feel like for me, the weekend's like an important time for just like to be to do my own thing. Yeah. But then by having that time off, then it gets you more excited to go back and do it. Revved. Yeah. So it's like holidays as well. It's like the first part I'm like, just yeah. can't stop thinking of like, it's like, okay, nice time off. Then I get to like this middle part of like, oh, finally, I'm just like 
don't have to think about work. It's great. And then the, the last part is like, fucking can't wait to get back because now I've got these ideas that I can't put into action because I'm not there. Yeah. So it's that You're kind excited. of. And I think the weekends are like that in a little way of like a try and get stop thinking about stop thinking about it now oh can't wait to get back yeah. to doing it again yeah bring it on yeah but there's, there's sometimes an art to that because i think the thing is a lot of people find it hard to relax and stop so therefore they can't enjoy that moment so like some people hate holidays you get you get that anxiety i do i think a little bit i did i did a two-week holiday so that's crazy to me because you're what? my sam's day what do you mean that you would be worried about what's going to happen on a Monday. Like, you're killing it. Look at everything you've done. Look at everything you've achieved up until now and look at everything that you're planning on doing in the future. Like, oh, but I'm a bag of nerves. I told you. <laughs> I, told, I told you. I was not, I, you know, like, last night I could not sleep. I was worrying. I was worrying about, you know, would 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 would, would you find me interesting today? I mean, I was totally worrying about what people think and I worry about it because I care what you think. But so, But I did my worry dump and that really helped me. Or he's done. What about affirmations? Do you do those? I do affirmations. I'm less good at the affirmations because I I like when I'm when I'm at in a certain level of anxiety, the affirmations can help me. But when I'm too far gone, they're not going to help right. me. Mm. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes they do, but I love being around people that um, you know, like you two, we're just having very thoughtful conversations. I love being around people. I, I did a talk and and someone else was speaking before me, and she could see I was. Um, not feeling fantastic. Poppy Jamie, do you know her? Happy Not Perfect. She's um, oh. friends with Emma Gannon. I think you would love to have her on. She would love to be on. Happy Not Perfect. The whole idea is is well, what it says on the tin. Yeah. Feeling yeah. happy and not perfect. But she, she. so we were speaking for, it was organised by the United Nations. It was the United Nations Girl Up and it was aimed at young women, 12 to 20, I think it was, 20, 21. And she was going on before. She was going on before and after me. She could see why I was nervous in our little green room, and she started to do affirmations with me. It was lovely, great. It, it always it always blows me away when we meet people who have achieved so much and mm. are still underconfident and mm. still have those worries. And yeah, you've got nothing to worry about, mate. You're killing it. Oh. Uh... Well, thanks. All right, well, I'm making you feel awkward now. Um, well, no. <laughs> sustainability, right? Yeah. Um, it appears to me from my little bit of research that I've done that you've been talking about that before it was kind of part of the zeitgeisty call to talk about sustainability. Like, why has it always been important to you? I think, loads, do you know, I think loads of people have been speaking about it, but maybe we've not been noticing it enough. I feel like I've always... I might might not have said the. I mean, it's 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 sort of words, isn't it? Like I don't think I don't think I, even I was saying the words sustainability. Yeah. I obviously, had the sustainability sessions, and that's something we we started th talking about a year and a half ago. But the word sustainability, and even now, I'm very conscious. You know, when I'm talking about things that pe people sometimes get very like jumpy on, like, are you saying you're going to solve sustainability in your sustainability sessions? No, because people get very locked into the words or if I talk about well, why don't they just fuck off like <laughs> we're trying to do a good thing you, like... well you'd be surprised <laughs> um you know with healthy eating everyone just assumes you're trying to take everything away from them and make their lives more miserable My and God. their meals not nice but you know it, pe people don't I've, I've tried really hard and one thing I've learned over the last 10 years is Bit like what we started with. I'm talking from my experience. I don't want to tell you how to eat. No one needs to open my book 
and try a recipe. I'm not going to force you. No one needs to land on my Instagram page if you don't want to be on there. You can have a little peek. If it's not your thing, you can leave. Yeah. I won't be offended. I will be. <laughs> I don't need to know. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is you know, when I say things like, oh, this is an eco, eco-led restaurant I love, because it's so hard. You can't say any one thing is sustainable. It'd be impossible to yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah. So I try and use different words in order to one bring people on the I don't want to say bring people on the journey but there's different ways we can do different things so you could do if you're going out for dinner or it's a you know a date night or you're seeing a friend could you pick an eco-minded restaurant or could you go and maybe support a pop-up like the way you know where a portion of the money is going to something like cook for Syria or on Sunday there was a massive bake sale you know down Columbia Road and it was supporting Australia and I just always try and think to myself, and and for me, that's not that's sustainable in the sense of that's community, that's sustainable, that's the better than choice. I know where the money's going to. That feels really good. The people who are putting it on are doing it with heart. So whenever I can, I think about how can I spend my money because that's our voting power, isn't it? Yeah. Could I do today? I've got time. I'm going to make time. I'm going to go and refill I'm going to go to a bulk buy refill shop and refill that way because that will save packaging and that person's started their business and they're doing something amazing and they really need that support if I can spend 10 pounds with that woman rather than 10 pounds there that could be a good thing yeah and if you don't know a bulk buy shop is where you can just go in with your own containers that's and, it and, fill, and you can fill refill up. and you can refill wine you can refill kombucha you can do cleaning products is a really easy one yeah. to start with um dried goods is a really one to start uh, start with spices are great if you're someone that likes to cook but you know we all know spices are best when they're fresh you can fill up there if you're a nut butter addict you can you know there's machines where they literally grind the nut butter fresh which is just so great um, <laughs> but uh, I think people so I think people have been talking about it because I don't want um I don't want to say they haven't. I mean, I think we don't have, or we've lost our cultural appreciation for our farmers. Like they, you know, farmers are revered in France and producers are revered. And maybe in London, we're lucky because we've got Borough Market, we've got Maltby Street, we've got farmers markets. We see people, but a lot of the time, you know, there's people, there's faceless people who are caretaking the land and protecting the planet in their own small way, whether they're beekeeping or whatever they're doing. And I just would like to give them more of a, Spotlight. I mean, I suppose you saw that firsthand in Kenya with the with the Fair Trade Foundation. Yeah, meeting female coffee owners of coffee bushes. So traditionally, um, I was told, or I found out from these ladies, that they didn't own their own coffee bushes. They call the beans the coffee berries when they're picking them before they become beans, or, or what we know as beans. And um, when sometimes when men, uh, the men were getting paid. Sometimes the money wasn't filtering or enough money was filtering through to the women and who were looking after the kids and the families and, and their school and everything. And so one farmer decided to give his wife coffee bushes, he said in his words, to try and create better harmony at home. And uh, it took off and then that model um, was on a roll and being rolled out and then fair trade helped support as well. And in some cases, the, the women's yield is five times that of the men because they chalk it all up in the, their office spaces. Yeah. So the idea was that the women could have ownership and have their own business, which was amazing. And that, yeah, that was with fair trade. Because before every penny they made was going to their husbands. Well, they were working, they were essentially working for their husbands. And they weren't, and of course, this, I'm just saying as an example, this wasn't happening all the time. Mm. But the guy that started it, he was seeing this disharmony and arguments and inequality and so the women started owning their own bushes 
And that was amazing to go and see. And that was in Kenya. That was November 2018. One of the best trips I've probably most. So, so that's when I feel really lucky when I wouldn't, that wouldn't have landed in my lap, let's say, as a, if that wasn't my my work and my job. So I feel like now people are coming to me. So at the time of fair trade, we're like, oh, we feel like you're, you're we really like what you're doing where on Instagram you're giving away a free recipe, but in it you're telling a story. So say I give a chocolate chip cookie recipe. In it, I'll we I'll give you the recipe. Here's a recipe, but please read the bit before about fair trade and why I'm suggesting you look out for fair trade vanilla and fair trade um um chocolate and cinnamon and spices and why that's important to me. And I think you'll find it important yeah. when you do it. Um and then maybe the next time I'll say, here's a lovely pesto pasta recipe and guess what I've put the broccoli a broccoli stalk in it and basil stalks which once you once you think about it you're like oh yeah I didn't need to throw away the broccoli stalk I didn't need to throw away money that's great so that's that's the way I try and do it gently hopefully people think it's gently because I've really realized in the beginning when I started and started talking about healthy eating you know some people loved it because they were looking for food that was healthy and delicious some people were like Ooh, don't tell me how to eat. And I was like, well, I'm not. Like, oh no, don't, I don't like that word healthy. That must mean this. Yeah. I think the key part for me there is when we had Dilly Carter on the show, who's a yeah, professional declutterer. She came on the sustainability sessions. Uh, oh, cool. Okay. Um, when, yeah, so when we interviewed her, one really interesting thing that came up is that looking in your wardrobe, everything you see hanging there is money. And you're saying exactly the same thing. Everything that is in your fridge and is going off and you throw away, that's that's money. Yeah. And yeah, and, and the way you put that, yeah, is like putting that money into into your pocket. Yeah. So you putting your money in the bin. Yeah. The, the 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 food in your fridge, freezer, cupboards. I always say one of the one of the easy, the best ways you could try and have a, a greener kitchen, a more sustainable kitchen, better for the planet, better for your wallet, is the next time you cook before you put anything in a bin and try and get a compost bin too, because that's great for your veg, yeah. for your veg scraps and, and better. And most, uh, well, a lot of councils are now offering them free is you can, uh, as you're chopping, whatever you were going to put in the bin, put in a bowl before you empty that bowl out, just have a look and see what you could save. Yeah. Is there a broccoli stalk? Is there a cauliflower leaf? Is there like left, were you making something herby and was, is there mint left over? Chuck it in a teapot tomorrow morning, put some hot water. You know, you've got mint tea. You know, yeah. you, just, you don't have to deal just with it all now. <laughs> make stock out of it. Well, a lot of people are like, who's got time to make yeah. stock? But then I just think to myself, don't forget, not only are you not throwing away money, you're literally throwing away flavour. We all know, those of us that like to cook, and if you haven't yet, you know, cooked with veg stock instead of water, you can literally go from a five out of 10 meal to a 10 out of 10 meal just with veg stock. You know, it's that it's all these secret hidden things or parmesan rinds. You know, when ne- if you if you eat cheese, grating your parmesan, you get to the bit where you're about to grate your, your finger off, yeah. and you're like, right, that's going in the bin. No, what can you do with that? Well, you could put it in the free. If you can't bear to deal with it now, because some of us don't have time to deal with stuff right now, you could put it in the freezer. If not, put it in a tomato sauce, you like pasta sauce, tomato sauce, a soup, your veg stock. If you're making a veg stock, a casserole, anything, it's just going to impart lovely salty flavour. I think in the same way that Lauren Bravo's book has really changed the way that I looked at clothing and fashion and, and the way that we consume, um, your book's really changed how I'm looking at food and, and what we're wasting. So uh, where can people find the book? You can find the book, hopefully, in your local bookshop. I mean, it's it's in all the shops, the Waterstones, the Independence, online. And yeah, it's, it's had such a lovely response so far. So hopefully you'll be able to find it wherever you are. Amazing. Um, my final question to you is, you 
have been around a lot of kind of successful people, successful business owners, what do you think are the main traits that these successful people share? I think what similar to what you were saying, Adam, is finding the time to switch off, however that looks like, because some people can't do weekends because that's maybe their busiest point. But at some point on a regular basis, finding the time to switch off, which is something I'm working on myself. Um, what else? I think a lot of them make a plan and then really stick to it. And then lots of them have evolved their careers. So then they make new plans. But where, whatever their plans are, they, they try and stick to them as best as possible. So you cannot do everything at once. And I've really struggled with that, like this idea of racing. I'm not racing against anyone else. I'm not, not in that way, but I, was, I guess racing against myself. So I think you can do everything, but you can't do everything at once. You can do it. Yes, that's a really lovely way of it. Because life is long and you can pivot and you can change and you can try that thing later. Yeah. But only once you've got this one under control because it's that spinning of plates that then you'll never get anything done properly. Yeah, that's it. And I would say other things I've picked up from my successful friends and, and, and worky friends is people that, you know, are very aware of their strengths and weaknesses. So I'm not I'm not great at that. I'm not going to, I'm not great at that. I'm going to bring someone else in or maybe I'll bring someone else in and I'll learn from them and I'll really enjoy learning that skill. But again, you know, I could sit down and go, I'm going to become a great photographer and I'm going to shoot my own books. But to be honest, I actually really love working with photographers mm. and, and I've worked with quite a few. And the one I worked with most recently, Philippa Langley, was incredible. She brought a different energy. She made me think of my food in a different way. It was just amazing. So going, oh, do you know what? That's her. She's well, not just her strength. She's phenomenal. I'm going to bring her in. I'm not going to even try and touch that skill set. And that would be a great thing to do. And on, an, on another, I don't want to say boring level, because I'm not saying accountants are boring, but I think finding people that are super, super great at the, what I call the boring side, no offence to anyone, but like the stuff that I'm terrible at, I call it the boring stuff because I'm horrific at it. So the admin side, the accounting side, my brain just cannot work in that side. So I've got the most amazing accountant, who's my ex-boyfriend's accountant. And, um, you know, I've, I've been working with him for like 12 years and he makes, again, makes me think of things in a different way. And I feel that a lot of the great people that I've met have got people they've been working with for 20, 30 years. And they have that wonderful relationship that's their work relationship and their friendship relationship and they're part of the family. And I'd like to think I'm going to have that. This has been a joy to um, to talk to you. And it took, and it went so many different, I didn't get to half the questions, so we'll have to do a part two at some point. Let's do a part two. Can we have a part two? Yeah, yeah, I've got some. Oh, thank you so much, guys. Fantastic. Bring bring cookies next time. I will bring cookies. (laughs) I won't let anyone else take the cookies away from you. That's the only reason you get in a part two. Okay. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been so fun talking to you. Um, Where can people find you online? On Instagram, I'm at melissa.hemsley or I'm melissahemsley.com. That's probably the easiest way. Yeah. Amazing. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you get any value from these episodes, it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at rebelscreate or head over to creativerebels.co. And remember, always be creating. See ya. See ya.